Hello, hello. Good afternoon, Metro Praise International. How's everybody doing this afternoon? Oh, come on, man. How's everybody doing this afternoon? Yes, yes. Awesome, awesome, guys. Man, how about this weather we're having? Yes, praise the Lord for warm weather at long last. We have it. All right. Thank you guys so much for joining us. I'm Pastor Tony. I'm one of the campus pastors here at Metro Praise International. If this is your first time here, thank you so much for making us your home church this afternoon. You guys are loved. We appreciate you. We love you. How about everybody stand up? All right. All right. Now, you know how we do if you've been here at Metro Praise long enough. We want to give God glory for the things that he's done in his life. And uh, we, we, have a t we usually have someone come and testify. So that person is my sister, Tina. She's going to come and share what God has been doing in her life lately. Yes, give a warm welcome to her as she shares. Amen. Praise the Lord. Um, you know, before I was saved, obviously I was unsaved, right? I um, had mindset of the world and I was rude and, you know, um, angry and obnoxious. And, you know, I was very judgmental and I always thought that my ways were right. And, you know, that what I thought was always good and, you know, that person doesn't know what they're doing and all those things. But... Praise God for salvation, right? Praise God for his saving hand and his saving grace, right? Um, so there's this scripture in the Bible, and it's in Romans 12. And uh, uh, it's Romans 12, too. And it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve that God's, what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And I'm here to tell you today that I have lived this out, that I am living it out as I talk to you today, that I am continually being transformed, uh, renewed, and transformed in my mind by the word of God. When I dig deeper into his word, I'm learning how to be a better person to the world, but to be a better you know, Christian, to live in holiness, to walk in that out, to be a better mom, and, and what the Lord wants me to think. My thought process is no longer judgmental or no longer in that pattern of trying to, you know, take people, you know, think about the other less of lesser than me but it's actually to look at them through the eyes of Christ to love them the way Christ loves them and that transforming comes through reading uh through reading his word and allowing it to you know just purify your mind purify your heart and change the way that you view things in the natural and start seeing them in the supernatural so I just praise God for that hallelujah I'm gonna go ahead and uh pray Father God, I thank you so much for this uh, session right now, Father God, for this um, service today, Father. I pray for every single person that's in this place, Lord God, that you would just renew their mind today, Father God, that they would be, um, listen to your word, Father God, and the things that come into their mind, God, will go to their heart, Father God, transforming their heart for your glory, for your mercy, for your grace, Father God, to be upon them, Lord. So have your way in this service, Lord, and be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to invite you like last week because it was so much fun if you could tiptoe your way to the front to be nearer to me we're going to worship Jesus together Steph why don't you be the first one up here come on we're going to worship the Lord come on let me invite you up front we're going to have a good time this song is talking about that we have a purpose in Jesus that he made us for his glory how many of you guys are excited that he made you for his glory hallelujah
lift up a shout of praise to him today. Hallelujah. Come on, thank you for the purpose that you've given every person in this place, Lord. The reason we live, the reason we breathe is to know you, God. To know you, to be near you, Jesus. To make you close, Lord God. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, we love you. We love your presence, God. We love being in your house today. There's no place, oh God, like the house of God. There's no place like the feet of Jesus. God, we find our purpose. We find our acceptance. We find our fullness in you, God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, before we go to the next song, can you just raise your hands with me today? Come on, we want to meet with you today, Jesus. God, we surrender, Lord, our weak, our thoughts, God, the things that are racing through our minds, the things that we have to do. God, we surrender, God, the, the mountaintop moments, and we will surrender the valley moments where we feel so low. And we say, God, you are still good, Lord. You're still worthy to be praised. You're still the God of miracles. You're still the God of holiness, of justice, of kindness, Lord. Oh, you are worthy, God. You are great. You are awesome. We just want to be close, Jesus. be close, close to your side, so heaven is real and death is a lie. I want to hear voices of angels above, singing as one. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Holy, holy.
Jesus is here today. Come on, King Jesus is here today. Lord, there is no mountain, not God, that you can't push through. There is no power in hell, Lord, or in any dominion, God, that doesn't bow at your feet, God. There is no obstacle, God, that we can face, Lord, where you are not in the midst of it, God. We turn to you, Lord, the great I am. We turn to you, Lord, the God of all gods, the King of all kings today. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. We lift your name up, God. Come on, can you lift up his name today? Come on, say Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, King Jesus, we love you. Hallelujah, we declare that you are worthy, dear God. That you are worthy of all the glory, that you are holy, that you are set apart. That there is no one like you, dear God. We declare of your holiness and your majesty this afternoon. There is none like you, dear God. There is none in all this world that can compare to you. You are the great I am. You are the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You are the alpha and the omega. Come on, we glorify your name this afternoon. We glorify your name. If you're new to worshiping Jesus, just start declaring who he is in your life. Hallelujah, we, we lift your name up. We declare that you are the lover of our souls. You are a friend that sticks closer than any brother. You are our rescuer, our redeemer. Who is he to you? Who is he to you this evening, this afternoon? I'm sorry. You are everything. You are our rescuer. You are our kinsman redeemer. Hallelujah. Come on, keep going. You are the creator of the heavens and of the earth. Hallelujah. You are the lion from the tribe of Judah. You are the shepherd. You are the gate. Hallelujah. 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 You are the bread of life. Woo. Come on, and he is our savior, and he's coming back one day. Come on, there's no devil in hell that can stand against the power of God. There's no situation right now that you can be facing that is greater than him. He is the great I am. He is the great I am. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. He is the Lord of hosts. Do you know him? Do you know him? 
Come on, if you just start declaring who he is in your life, you'll change. You'll change your life around. Come on, this day may have not started how you wanted it to. But once you start putting God in the right place, come on, he's going to change it around. Come on, God has a word for someone this morning, and he says, for my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. Come on. For my ways are not your ways. You may be going, to, and you feel like you're in an upward, uphill battle. Come on, but God is on your side. God is on your side. God is on your side. God, you're on the winning team. If God is for you, who can be against you? Hallelujah, God, we thank you for the song of worship that has led us right into your presence. Father, we declare that you are the great I am in our lives. Come on, just put your hand over your heart. You are the great I am over my life. You are the great I am in my marriage. You are the great I am in my workplace. You are the great I am in the city of Chicago. You are the great I am in our nation and all over this world. Father, we know that you are all powerful and there's nothing that's impossible. There's nothing that's impossible for you. Come on, one more time as we sing this song together. As we sing this song with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, I want you to put God in the right perspective. Put him in the place where he belongs. He is greater. He is greater. He is mightier. He is stronger. He is capable. He is able to do far more than we can ever imagine. The great I am. Hallelujah. Holy, holy. God Almighty. The great I am. Who is worthy? Not beside thee. God Almighty. The great I am. Hallelujah. Holy, holy. God Almighty. The great I am. Who is worthy? Who is worthy? Not beside thee. God Almighty. The great I am. Hallelujah. We love you, Lord. We come with a heart of expectancy this afternoon to see a word, to receive a word that we would never be the same again. Holy Spirit, I ask that you have your way with the rest of this service, that you would tug on hearts, that we would walk out here transformed, dear God, by your presence. We come hungry and we come waiting for you to do a new thing. So have your way, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Come on, why don't you give him some praise? God is good. Welcome to Metro Praise International. Please find a seat. You can greet your neighbor while you're there. You guys excited to be in the house of God? Amen. God is good. Isn't that amazing? When you just start declaring who God is, the atmosphere just changes. God encompasses the praises of his people. So welcome to Metro Praise where we're praising his name. Come on. I want to share with you the gospel in Romans 5, 8. Gospel meaning the good news. And this passage um, is very short, but it's very powerful. It says, God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible says that when you and I don't know Jesus Christ, 
We are sinners, right? We don't know right from wrong. We don't understand his law, his standard, because we really, honestly, we don't really care, right? When you don't know Jesus, you don't really care to do what Jesus asks you to do. So the Bible says that we're sinners. We've fallen short from his standard. And even though we missed the mark, even though we were not good enough according to his standard, the Bible says that God Almighty still loved us enough to sacrifice his one and only son. Would you sacrifice someone in your family for someone who didn't deserve it? Probably not. But that's the story of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that he would give his most precious son for us, a people who did not love, a people who chose to walk away from God. But the Bible says that he loves us and that if we were to put our faith in him, we would receive salvation, eternal life. Amen? And so this morning as I was meditating on this scripture, God really put on my heart that there are some of us who just continuously meditate on our past failures, meditate on our sin, that when we come to a church like this and we're presented with this good news, we think, hey, that's, that's good for so-and-so, but that's not good for me because you don't know the wrong that I did. And I want to tell you that God is all-knowing. He knows the depths of your heart, and if you have committed a wicked sin, something that you would be even ashamed to tell your, your precious loved ones. God says, I'm still capable, I'm still willing and able to cleanse you of that sin. Amen? And he's able then to allow you to be born again when you put your faith in him. And when you're born again, you receive you, new life. You're no longer that sinner, but you're a what? A saint. Amen? So today we're going to have some prayer workers right up here for you. And I want to tell you something. They're not up here just to look cute, okay? They're up here for you, and they're up here if, you, if that's you, and you're saying, hey, I want to take that step. I want to surrender, put my faith in Jesus Christ. I want to be right with God. They're here for you. Because you know what? Tomorrow is not promised. Today is the day of your salvation. You don't know what tomorrow brings, and God has given you an opportunity once again to make it right with him. So with every eye closed and, and head bowed, let us just pray for those. Father, we thank you for your love, your mercy and grace that was displayed on that cross. Father, we thank you that even though you know the depths of our heart, you still love us and you pursue us and you come after us. You don't reject us. But Father, I pray that there will be hearts in this room that wouldn't reject you and wouldn't reject the grace that you're offering. I pray for humble hearts this afternoon and that someone in this room today would grab a hold of that grace and be born again. Someone would take a hold of that and receive the life that you offer. So Holy Spirit, have your way in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Please stand to your feet with me. If that's you, once again, please come up here and pray with our prayer workers. What we're going to do right now is recite our confession of faith. This is our biblical worldview. This is what we stand on here at PI. And so we're going to recite this together on the count of three. One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. 
I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen and amen. Come on, give me some praise. Please take some time right now to greet your neighbor, meet somebody new. If you need prayer, our prayer workers are right up here for you. Good afternoon. Welcome to MPI one more time. You guys excited to be in the house of God? Welcome. All right. Just want to share some announcements with you. Here at MPI, we have two main services. Sundays at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. with child care provided. Fridays also at 7 p.m. We have our Elevate Youth Service. Elevate ages 11 to 18 years old every Friday, bring out your youth. And I just want to give you a quick announcement. Here we go. Next week, we're going to have an awesome worship leader, Brandon Holt, coming to just blow it up, all right? So it's going to be a powerful time in God's presence. Bring out your family members. Bring out your friends. It's going to be a great time, 10 and 1 p.m. service. Thank you. All right. So here at MPI, we have a vision of loving God and loving people, the two greatest commands that Jesus gave us. And we have a strategy of connect, mentor, and send. Somebody say connect. All right, if you pull out your life group flyers, you guys got them? 
Okay, you're going to see a complete listing of life groups that we have here at MPI. And so life groups are places where we can all share life together. And we have something for everyone. So here's a quick snapshot of what we have going on this week. Today at 5 p.m., we have our marriage life group taking place here at the church. We're going to talk about something very special to marriages. So you want to make sure you come on out and have a good time. This Tuesday, we're going to have our Elevate Youth, um, sorry, Elevate Youth Group sorry, Youth Bible Study, The Resistance, taking place here at the church at 6 p.m. Wednesday, we have our Righteously Redeemed group meeting at that address right there, um, ages 11 to 18 years old as well. And then Wednesday, we have our King's Kids, infant to 11 years of age. If you have some kiddos, all right, bring them, drop them off. You can stay with them if, if you feel comfortable. Um, if you feel comfortable, you can leave as well. Go do some laundry, go grab a cup of coffee, and then come back and pick them up. And then Thursday, we have our gang outreach. It's 18 years and up, meeting at that address right there, going out and reaching the gang members in the community. Very powerful ministry. And then Friday, we have the Gobea Bible study at my house, and we have the Vivid Bible study at that location right there, a Bible study for adults. So we want to see you there. We see a lot of new faces here, and we would love to have you come out, study the Word of God. We're actually going through the spiritual growth series as well as we are here on Sunday morning. So there is something for everyone. Find something, find a place where you belong and go there, all right? You guys excited to connect? All right, so that's the first part, connect. The second part of our strategy is mentored. Somebody say mentored. All right, first part of mentorship is you go through a one-on-one -on -one process. You meet with an elder or a deacon um, at a time that's convenient for you. You go through the seven-step book, and you have someone where you're accountable, someone where you're able to call up, and they're able to encourage you and help you in this journey with you and Jesus. Amen? And then after the one-on-one, -on -one, you graduate, you go on into the 201 class called uh, Disciples Making Disciples because we know that God wants to use you. We know that God hasn't called you just to be a churchgoer, but he's called you to be a disciple that makes disciples. Amen? All right, that brings us to the last part of the strategy, which is send. And we want to invite you to the evangelism ministry every Saturday from 5 to 8. Go out, share your faith, be bold for Christ, and share what God has done in your life. And that's the third part of our strategy. Somebody say connect, mentor, and send. And we have a goal of 100,000 disciples here in the city of Chicago, 50 churches here, and 500 all around the world. If you believe God is doing big things, come on, give them some praise. God is good. And so what we're going to do right now is we're going to get into our tithes and offerings. So we're going to get into this lesson, lesson number two, and we're talking about offering. All right, it's going to come up on the screen, and I don't have it. Okay, we're in the second lesson. Somebody know what, the, what a tithe is? What's a tithe? 10% of your total income. Anything that you give after that becomes your offering. And so we know that we have some awesome givers in this house, all right? We're doing big things. And so we're going to learn um, about there being a variety of ways in offerings, okay? So that's lesson number two. And here's the definition. Once again, an offering is anything that you give to God after your tithe. So here is the scripture, Deuteronomy 12:6. It says, there, bring your burnt offerings, sacrifices, your tithes, and special gifts, what you have vowed to give, and your free will offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. Amen. So who wants to bring their firstborn of their herds and flocks to God this morning? Is 
not me, okay? So I praise God, that I, but I can still give an offering, right? So here is what a Jewish offering was. The Jewish people were commanded by God to give certain offerings for specific situations about their, above their tithe. The burnt offering was for unintentional sin. The grain offering was an act of worship and thanksgiving for God's provision. The fellowship offering was a form of worship that also included a meal. The sin offering was for the forgiveness and cleansing of sin. Amen. Let's keep going. Lastly, the guilt offering was for the restitution of sins committed. Phew, I'm so glad we don't have to do that, right? But that is what the Jewish offering was. And so what does this look like for us in our day? Here's a Christian offering definition. The purpose of the New Testament offering is for worship, thanksgiving, and blessing. In other words, the Christian gives offerings because they're blessed to be a blessing. So when we come to the house of God and we give our tithes, whenever we say, God, I want to give more. I want to bless you more. I want to be obedient in this area of offering. And so you give out of a cheerful heart and not under compulsion. And so there are uh, various ways to give. Just like there was a variety of ways to give in the Old Testament, the Christian has a variety of ways to give offerings in the New Testament, mainly to their church or other ministries. Concerning their church, Christians can give to missions, building projects, and charity. Offerings to other ministries can go to anything from humanitarian aid to evangelistic crusades. Amen? And so we want to come to God and we want to be obedient in our tithes and then also continuously uh, look for various ways to give in our offerings. So in summary, prayerfully seek God and ask him to lead you into the various offerings you should give after your tithes, whether missions, building fund, etc. So here's how you apply this. Be faithful to your tithing. Number two, pray and seek God for what offerings to give. And number three, be faithful in giving your offerings to God. Amen. Please stand to your feet with me this afternoon. If that is you, you're ready to give to the house of God. And let's recite this confession over our lives. The offering is a gift to God after the tithe and is given in a variety of ways. God said it should be a generous seed given with a cheerful heart from personal sacrifice. The offerings will always bring thanksgiving to God because they go towards charity and ministry supplies. We give offerings in obedience to God's word, sharing with others our blessings with a gracious heart by imitating Jesus and revealing where our treasure really is. Amen. So once again, the tithe is 10% of our total income, and offering is anything that you give after that. After that, and here at MPI, you can choose whether that offering goes to missions or building offering. Right now, we're going through a building fund. We're um, raising monies to make this place up here look awesome and amazing because we want to do everything in excellence. And as you see, it's already just looking so beautiful. So thank you for partnering with us. Thank you for sowing into God's kingdom. Amen. And so here are four ways that you can give in the buckets right here at the front. You can also give the in the boxes and the drop boxes in the back. Number three, with your credit card or debit card with myself or Pastor Tony, right in the back. And lastly, you can give online through Ch Chase Quick Pay or PayPal. Amen. And so let's recite. Oh, here is an update. Do we want to go back? No? Okay. So thus far, we've raised $7,699. Isn't that amazing? Why don't you give God praise for what he has done? And let's recite this this scripture together in Philippians 4:18, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus let's pray 
Father, we thank you so much that you meet our needs, that you go above and beyond, dear God. Father, you take the desires of our hearts and you make them possible. Father, we can experience them. And because we're so blessed, Lord, we want to be a blessing to others. So, Father, I pray that you would use each and every one of us to continue to sow seed into your kingdom. Father, because we know that lives are being impacted all around this world. So have your way, dear God. Receive this tithe and offering as a thanksgiving to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Please come up as you give. Thank you. How many are ready for spiritual growth? Make some noise. Come on. Dude, spring has sprung. How many are happy for the warm weather? You know what? You can always tell when spring has sprung if you're hanging around here because that's when you see pastor get burned, okay, because I got to go out and get me some sun, and, man, I got me a lot of it. I already got burned already, but that's okay because I'm just trying to keep with my Latinas and my Latinos and my African-Americans. See, we all just want to be like you guys. We just, we, we just want to be dark-skinned. Now, can any light-skinned Latinos uh, acknowledge that you get burned too? Anybody want to keep the real? A couple of you guys like... Dude, yeah, we can relate to light-skinned Latinos, but you know what? My wife is telling me I got to start using suntan lotion because my dad just had some um, uh, problem melanoma removed. So everybody put on some suntan lotion and don't do as I do. Amen. Don't get burned. Look at your neighbor and say, don't get burned. All right. That was fun and awkward. Are you guys up this afternoon? Okay. Come on. Pretend like you're excited. You guys love Jesus? There you go. Thank you. Okay, open up your Bibles with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. And don't say, I didn't give you a chance to be happy and excited because it may get real and I might start stepping on your toes now. So don't say like, oh, Pastor just got all serious. Where's happy smiling, Pastor? Well, I was there. I was there, okay. And it may come back. You never know. But today we're looking at uh, spiritual growth. As you guys go to 2 Peter, let me just catch you guys up because we have some visitors. So basically we've been in a sermon series starting after Easter called Spiritual Growth. It's about growing up spiritually. We've been looking to 2 Peter chapter 1 as our series text so that we'll know how to grow. And then uh, last two weeks have been really the theological foundation, which has been like who we are in Christ and that we're growing up to act like who we are. We're not trying to be a better person. We're acting like the person Christ already made us to be, and we'll go through that in some review. But then today, we're now going to go to the part of spiritual disciplines, which is the nitty-gritty. Everybody go nitty-gritty. Thank you. Now we're going to get into the very practicals of spiritual growth. Are you with me in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1? Say, I'm there. 
Thank you, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of uh, Jesus our Lord. Let's go to verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, goodness, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, mutual affection, mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So let's review this. We've been going over it now each week, okay? Simon Peter is an apostle, one of the main 12 disciples of Jesus. He says you have a faith as precious as ours. So every time you trust or any time somebody trusts in Jesus, we all start with the same faith. That means we can accomplish for our lives what Peter accomplished for his. If you were on the boat that day and said, who is that walking on water? And it was Jesus. And he said, come to me. You could have got on the boat, out of the boat and walked on the water. Peter did not walk on the water. It was the faith he had in Christ that allowed him to walk on water. Because any old time, Peter would have fallen in the water. So the way I like to look at it is he walked on the word. C-O-M-E. He didn't walk on H-2-O. He walked on the word. And that's by faith. Because faith comes by by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now look at Peter. He says, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Your faith is as precious and as valuable as Peter's. Whatever God told Peter to do, he could do by faith. Whatever God is telling you to do, you can do by faith. If God says, I don't want you to have sex until you're married, can you do that by faith? If Jesus says, I want you to give and, and be a part of financial uh, prosperity in the church, whatever, can you do that? And not let what's in your wallet control you, but let your heart, amen, control your body. Don't let the wallet control your heart. Let your heart control your wallet. Does everybody get that? Okay. And now, can we, uh, like parents, can we raise our children in the Lord? Can we do that by faith? Yes, we can. Teaching them in the ways of God. We can uh, go to work tomorrow. How many can go to work tomorrow and smile? Because Jesus loves you and the people you're working with. How many can do that? by faith. So whatever God has for you to do, you can do. No excuses. We have faith as precious as Peter. Amen. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Now because of that, we have grace and peace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. It's the blessing of God upon our life. And peace is the irene in Greek, the tranquility we have with the Father. We used to be at enmity with Him. We were at war with God, believe it or not, in our thoughts as sinners. We were against God's will. It was our will, not His will be done. That's how we lived. And so when we came to Christ, we received unmerited favor, blessings, and forgiveness, mercy, and we received peace peace, tranquility with God, so we have no fear of judgment. Perfect love drives out all fear. We don't fear God's judgment because he's a good, good father. Amen? 
If he wasn't my father, I would fear his punishment. So imagine your dad's a general fighting in the war against ISIS. You know your dad loves you. He cares for you. You have no fear of him dropping hellfire missiles on you. But if you were to leave your home, join the terrorist of ISIS, how many know you're going you're gonna to fear hellfire missiles, right? Because you went to the other side. As long as we choose to be in Christ, keep that faith, we have nothing to fear of punishment because our king, the king of kings, is also our father. And in our spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father, I love you. Love you, Daddy, Poppy. How many have a good, good father? Amen. He is a great father. And from him come every good and perfect gifts. Uh, come all good and perfect gifts. Now, listen, Peter says that you have a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace has been multiplied to you. And now because of God's divine power, you've been given everything you need for a godly life. So is there anything you're missing today in your life to live godly? No, there's not one thing missing. The answer is no. Okay, everybody go, no. Okay, no. Do you have everything you need? Yes. Are you missing every, anything? No. Okay, you guys up. You're going to help me. Otherwise, it's going to get to be long today. I just need your help. I just need your help. Just a little bit, okay? Do you have everything you need? Yes. Are you missing anything? No. And that's because you've received grace and peace through Jesus Christ. You have in you greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Through Christ you can do all things. And this is not just to find a good parking spot at the mall when we go there today or to be able to catch fish if we like to go fishing. We don't use these promises just for our own personal temporary benefit. Those promises are actually for a godly life. Think about that. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. For what purpose? So I can live a godly life. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. For what purpose? So I can bench 300 pounds? No, so that, you know, I can go look like, uh, you know, the rock by lifting a lot of weights. I can do all things. I mean, you can apply it that way, but what is the true application? That I would live holy, that I would be like Christ, that I would be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect, that I would be holy for he is holy. So he's given me everything I need for a godly life. Wow, isn't that amazing? I got faith just as precious as Peter, and I got everything I need to live holy. That's the benefit of being a Christian. And then now look, we get precious promises, and these promises ensure us that we're participating, or I like to say dancing with the divine. You were born naughty by nature, but born again by divine nature. Oh, come on. Dude, do I need somebody to be on a, music, a musical instrument right now? This is my last chance. It's my last chance for crowd participation. I just need a couple amens. I'm going to assign Andrea to be my amener, and uh, Kelly will be my amener, and then Alex, I'm not Alex, I'm sorry, uh, Rocky, will you be my amener? So can I get at least three amens? Anybody else want to help from this point on? It's up to you. Okay. His divine power gave us everything we need. Now what comes? These promises that allow us to participate in the divine nature. So I look at how I was born the first time. Naughty by nature. A child of wrath. From Adam and Eve born with the propensity and the desire to sin. But now I've been born again by divine nature. The holiness of God is in me. The righteousness of God is within me. My heart has been changed. I've been moved by the divine to follow him. Does that mean I become omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, you know, all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere at one time? Uh, no, it means that I share in his morality. Just turn with me quickly to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Let me take a couple sidetracks here, help you guys see it clearly, to catch everybody up, maybe get you guys excited, get some amens flowing here. You say, Pastor, you're just so insecure, you need it. No, it's just a lot more fun when you do it, okay? We're in church, not a library. When you say amen, it makes it better, okay? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is 
here, thank you. That's beautiful. New creation has come. But watch this. Look at this as you continue on to verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It is easy for me to convince sinners they're sinners. Most of the time they'll admit, I'm a sinner. I'm going to say, yeah, I messed up, Pastor. I get it. it is harder for me to convince saints that they're saints. Because they want to keep that mentality of, you know, nobody's perfect, you know, I'm doing my best. And they're thinking that they're on the good works treadmill, the good works religious treadmill, trying to make themselves a better person. And they can never just stop and say, I'm never going to be that person, but Christ made me that person without my human effort. I'll never be it by human effort, rather, but by Christ's effort, I become it instantly. It's the benefit of salvation. Amen. That's something to get excited about. Thank you. Do it for Jesus, right? That's what he did for you. Christ took on your sin. So as much sin as you and I had, Christ took it all. Would we all admit that? Was there any sin left on, uh, in, in this, on the cross that Jesus leave behind any of our sin? No, he took all of it, right? Now watch. In Christ's imputation of righteousness to you, has any of his righteousness been lost or have you received it all? All of it. You see, as much as he took of your sin is as much as he gives us his righteousness. So as much as you should be convinced that you were a sinner before Christ is as much as you should be convinced that you're the righteousness of God in Christ. And that will change the way you act because you'll know that you're a different kind of person. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Can I show this to you again? Amen. Let's go to Hebrews. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. Just a couple more places as a sidetrack here. To, to bring this point in better, remember, we're looking at this passage here that says we get to participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by the evil desires. We get to have everything we need for a godly life. So look at more a testimony of this in the scripture, Hebrews 12, 23, to the church of the firstborn. Are you a part of Jesus' church today? Jesus was the firstborn from the dead, giving a resurrected body. There were other people raised from the dead, but they did not receive the resurrected body. Christ's body could walk through walls, okay? And so Christ was the firstborn from the dead with the resurrected body. Our hope is that in him we will all get a second body to live forever, okay? So our first body, not born naughty by nature, our second body is going to represent our solical nature, born in divine nature. Are you with me? Divine nature is in me now in my soul and spirit, and you're going to see that. And then the body is going to match that. Now, here you go. The, to the church of the firstborn, how many love church? Can I hear an amen? Whose names are written in heaven. How many people's names are written in heaven? Lamb's book of life. The moment you were born again, right? Your reservation was written there. You have come to God. Presently, it's talking to these people. The people of the firstborn church, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all. And how many believe he's a good judge? Amen. Now, watch. To the spirits of the righteous made how are the righteous spirits made? Perfect. Now this look again, Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, just tying together this idea of uh, new birth and how Christ gives us a new spirit. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, is going to tell us that when he gave us a new heart and a new spirit, it was in his nature. Look at this. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you. We are participating in the divine nature by the Holy Spirit. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Does everybody see that? 
Now go to Galatians as well. Just another testimony of God doing a wonderful work inside of us. Galatians chapter 5, right around verse 25. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Everybody get that? And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So are we able to escape the corruption of this world and live by the divine nature? Yes. How do we do that? By the new spirit given to us by the Holy Spirit that has made us like Christ. And then somebody may say, well, Pastor, what about my soul? Because aren't we body, soul, and spirit? Absolutely. Go to 1 Peter. We're reading 2 Peter. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, and it says what happened to your soul when you believed in Jesus Christ, when you put your trust in him. Start in verse 22, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Now that you have purified yourselves, and that word yourselves, I'll put in the New King James so you guys can see, is your soul. Since you have purified your what? Your souls and obeying the truth. So I got a new spirit at birth, perfect in Christ and righteousness. My soul has been purified when I obeyed the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren. Love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again. How many people are born again? That is that spiritual birth that purifies the soul, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. So going back to this review of this passage, we have all the things we need to live a godly life because the Holy Spirit is in us. He's given us a new spirit that is perfect in his righteousness, and he has purified our souls. Now we are able to participate with that divine nature and do all of these things. That's why it says right here, for this reason, make every effort. What is that reason? The reason that it is is that we've been born again, given a new nature, participating with Christ in his righteousness. Does everybody get that? And now we can add those seven qualities of faith. So remember this. We received a faith as precious as Peter, but we have not all of us done what Peter did with his faith. And the way I compare that is all of us have muscles like bodybuilders. You know, aside from um, thinking of growth hormones or, or uh, steroids, all of us have the same muscle anatomy. So what's the difference between us and the bodybuilder? They worked out their muscles and made it into a performance, um, you know, per, uh, did something with their muscles and made them more performance-based, strengthened them, etc. You and I could do that same thing. You and I could have big muscles if we want, right? Because the tendons are there, the muscle is there, the, the body structure is there. Peter says, you have faith just as precious as mine. But the question I want to ask to you, are you working out your faith like Peter worked it out? Are you adding these seven exercises to your faith so that they can become muscular and strong, enhanced for performance? See, that's what the Christian life is about. It's not becoming a better person. It's living as the person Christ created you to be. It's learning to add to your life the things he has given to you. These things, he said, he's already given you everything you need for a life and godliness. So self-control and all of these things have already been given to you. The fruit of the Spirit has already been given to you. But the question is, do you cultivate them? Are you growing in them? Are you utilizing them? My son right now has all the fingers he'll ever have, all the hands he'll ever have, all the legs he'll ever have. But the question is, is he growing up to be a healthy young man one day to be a beast like his daddy and to, you know, to play sports or do whatever, be a man? Just Everybody just say, be a man. Just be a man. Is he going to do that? That's up to him. But he's been given the nature of a Wyrostic. 
And so we've been born again, given the nature of God, and it's up to us if we want to grow. And the example that I've showed you guys in this is that Christ was born perfect. Jesus was born perfect, yet he came, as a vir- uh, came through a virgin as a baby, and he physically grew. And the Bible says that as he grew in his body, he grew in his wisdom. And that is where, let me just show that to you, grew in wisdom. How many remember this when I showed you that? Wisdom and stature. Anybody remember? Okay, turn with me to this scripture right here. Let's go to, I believe it's Luke. Yeah, Luke 5, 52, just so you can see it up here. So we know Jesus was born perfect. Was Jesus born perfect? He was, but why did he still grow? Because he was setting for us the example of two things, physical growth, because when he came out of his mother's womb, he didn't come as a grown man, like, hey, how you doing, Mary? It's good to be here. I'm a bearded 30-year-old man ready to do ministry. How many are glad Jesus didn't come out like that? He came out as a baby, so he showed us what it's like to grow and, and to go through the process of growth, and then he also grew in stature. Now, this does not mean, once again, that his spiritual life changed. He was always God. But what it shows that he grew in his knowledge as, a, as the God-man, he limited his abilities. He did not come here as Superman. Philippians 2 said that he set aside his divine privileges, not his divine nature, but his privileges to kill us all at once, to walk through walls, to float in the sky, do whatever he wants to do as God. He set aside those kind of privileges, being worshipped all the time, shining brighter than the sun. He set aside those kind of privileges so that he could be like us and live as a man and set the example as a man. So when he says, follow me, literally, we're supposed to follow him. We're supposed to look at him in the new birth and say, I can be like him. The only difference between us after new birth and Jesus is that we still carry around a body of death, residue from Adam and Eve, our flesh. And that's why we need to count it as dead and crucified. That's why we carry our cross. His cross was a one-time death, and then he raised from the dead on the third day. Our cross is a continual cross we carry and count as dead, that flesh. But inside, inwardly, we share in the same exact nature that Jesus did when he walked on the earth. So he showed us not only how to grow physically, the natural way of things, but he showed us how to grow spiritually because he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. How many want to grow up? Amen. And just turn with me quickly just for another little side note here back to that first Peter passage. Look at it right here. It's very clear. Remember we're in second Peter. This is 1 Peter, so he's already building on concepts in 2 Peter that I wish we had time to get into, but I really wanted to focus in on those seven things. We'll get into that today. But listen to this from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all evil speaking, as newborn what? As newborn babes. So we're born again as babes. We should desire the pure milk of the word that we may grow up. You see how Jesus grew up in body and in his soul, knowing the things of God? We are to grow up in our soul and spiritually live like Jesus. How many want to live like Jesus? How many are tired of living like Lady Gaga, Oprah Winfrey, Donald Trump, uh, some sports star? How many of you are tired of living like people in the world and already live like Jesus? Amen. Now watch this. If indeed you have tasted and seen the Lord is good. Okay, so let us go back here to the message. How many are ready for the review? Amen. This was just the explanation of the passage. We haven't even got to the review yet. Well, let me just finish the explanation. How about that? Therefore, brothers and sisters, how many brothers and sisters do I have here today? 
Okay? You know, you, you just don't have to have soul to call people brother and sister. All you got to do is read the Bible. Okay? So don't be intimidated by it. I do have some soul brothers and sisters. You know what I'm saying? It's okay that you guys love me the way I am and I love you. We get along and hang out. But you don't got to have just soul. This, my punk rock friends right here, you are my brothers and sisters. And the way you guys might say is like, bro, what's going on, bro? Or like, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, sister. Like that. It doesn't matter whether you got soul or no soul. We are all brothers and sisters. Amen. And don't you love this church? It is all multicultural. We, we've got every type of culture you can imagine in here. It is amazing for this size of church to have the cultures that we do. So listen to that. We are brothers and sisters. Now watch this. Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. What is that? Going back up to the beginning that we are people of faith. That we are the grace recipients of Christ, the peace recipients, that we are sharing in the divine nature. Do something about that. Prove it. Show the world. Show the world that you are a Christian. Hypocrisy should not be a subject among the church. That, that should not even be said. Why? Because if we mess up and don't act like Jesus, we should be the first ones to be like, that wasn't like Jesus. Forgive me. And if that means we need to go back into the restaurant, we need to apologize and say, I'm sorry I didn't treat you with respect, waiter or waiter, waitress, you know. Or we need to tell our coworkers, man, I'm sorry I've been yelling too much lately. We need to show this world, starting with our marriage, our kids, our community, our jobs, that we are truly working out our election and our calling, or another way, working out our salvation. Amen? Come on, say amen. We need to live like we've been changed. Now look at this, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. And that's the promise. So if you and I stumble, it's because we're not doing these things. Those seven things. If I stumble today in sin, if I lust, if I become angry, if I become bitter, if I don't forgive my enemy, is it God's fault? No, because he gave me faith as precious as Peter's. He's given me everything I need for a godly life. He's given me his very nature to partake in. Yum, 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 taste and see the Lord is good, amen. And so if I stumble today, I'm guilty of that. My fault, I can't blame that on anybody. I can't even blame it on the devil because I'm no longer his slave. The Bible says I've been set free. I can't blame it on my neighbor because the Bible says you have no control over my soul. And I can't even blame it on my flesh because Christ gave me a new nature. So every possible source of temptation is I am delivered from. So lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. If I sinned or you sinned, it is our fault, correct? Okay. So what does Christ want us to do? Never stumble. So you'd say, Pastor, have you sinned since being a Christian? Yes, I have. But I'm growing up in my salvation to sin less because I believe I was created sinless. When you believe you were created sinless, you will, you will sin less. You see, if you keep thinking to yourself, amen, if you keep thinking to yourself, I'm jacked up, I'm a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, you don't know who you're going to get today. Everybody, you know, got their struggles and Lord knows nobody's perfect. If that's the way you're going to live, you're making excuses to stumble all the time. But if you say, I was created sinless, if you say, I was created righteous, if you say, I was made a new creation, I was born again as a pure spiritual babe with a pure heart moved along by the Holy Spirit, then you now will know I am responsible for my sins, can blame nobody else. But if I work this word and do those seven things, it will work for me. And Peter promised I would never stumble. Come on, somebody. 
Now, I even talked about stumbling last week by first stubbing your toe and then stumbling. And literally, I did it this past week. I did. I talked about it Sunday, and I stubbed my toe and stumbled and fell like Tuesday. Because I got like a lazy boy in my bedroom and a bed. And in my bed frame, it's like, oh, I don't even know, man. It's like of the devil. It can know where I'm coming. It might be like a little trap door like and it comes sticks out because I don't know. I thought for sure where I was putting my foot was not where the bed frame was. But, man, I just went dunk right into it. And it's like all three of my little baby toesies, all three of them. And it's like, like down all of it. And, dude, I literally was like, man down, man down. Because I went boom. And I fell. I literally fell. And then I rolled onto the bed. And my lips started to quiver. And I started to almost cry. And then I said to myself, this is exactly what sin is like. This is exactly what it looks like. God has told us we don't have to stumble anymore. We can know what we're doing. We can live holy. How many want to walk the pathway of holiness? I mean, I don't want to do that again. So if you think you're going to play a game with God, like could you imagine the woman caught in adultery? She's like, God. I don't want to get stoned today. Jesus is like, okay, ain't nobody going to stone you because, you know, he who's without the sin is going to have to throw the first stone. And I'm the only one like that, and I've forgiven you. So no one's going to stone you. Now imagine if she said, God, but here's the deal. I still like hooking up every now and then. Can we make a little deal out here? I'll keep hooking up. You keep forgiving me. It, that would have been a whole different story, wouldn't it? But what does the Bible say? He said to her, woman, go and sin no more. See, a lot of you have heard the forgiveness that nobody's judging you, nobody's throwing rocks at you, but you haven't heard the next thing out of Jesus' mouth because you just got so excited you were forgiven. Like, I'm forgiven, and you just ran, and you forgot to hear what he was saying because he didn't just say you were forgiven. He said, you're forgiven, but now go and sin no more. So he's wanting to teach us, I love you just the way you are, but too much to let you stay that way. You know, and so God is saying, yes, I forgive you, Joe, I forgive you, but don't sin no more. And so what he's doing is he's looking at all of our hearts going, I forgive you, but you want to keep sinning? Because true repentance says, no, God, I don't want to sin. And I, I want you to get that in your heart, that true forgiveness is empowerment not to sin. True grace says, if I do sin, I can be forgiven, but I don't want to sin because grace has changed my heart. See, my wife will forgive me. But I don't want to have a steady girlfriend and test that forgiveness, okay? And just say, hey, honey, I got a girlfriend. You know, you're a forgiving wife. Why don't you just forgive me and just keep hanging out with that girlfriend? And that's the same way it is with God. Can I show you guys that in the Bible? Like, okay, how many want to see it in the Bible? Amen. How about Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26, and then we'll get to the review because we're not even to the review yet. I got a, I got a passage. I got a review, and that counts as the introduction, and then we're going to get to the message. Amen. Are you guys ready? Okay, look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume God's enemies. Now look at this word here. If we deliberately keep on sinning. So the idea isn't here, the righteous man stumbling seven times. See, the Bible says, if a righteous man stumbles seven times, I will get, they will get back up. Can I show you that too? I just want you to be encouraged. How many have ever stumbled as a righteous person? Right, because the Bible says, I tell you these things that you don't stumble. But we have stumbled since being righteous, and I want you to see that. Righteous person. By the way, you can Google stuff just like pastor does, okay? Righteous person stumbled. But you've got to have the key words there. Here we go. Proverbs 24, 16. For though a righteous person... Or though a righteous, godly person, see another version here, godly man or godly woman, 
they fall seven times, they will rise again. Now, what kind of person are they? Righteous. So can righteous people make mistakes? Yes, but they don't deliberately continue in them. They don't deliberately continue in them. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've been born again, but you are not living in holiness, and so you're deliberately sinning, you cannot expect there to be a sacrifice for sins. You cannot expect that because you are abusing the grace of God. It's not that grace has run out. You're just abusing the grace of God. It's a misuse of the grace of God. And then it, in another passage, it says it like this. You have fallen from grace. And what that means is you were standing in Christ's righteousness. You were standing in grace. And when you sinned, you truly repented. It wasn't deliberate to keep on sinning. And Christ forgave you out of his compassion and mercy. But at some point, you thought you would get it over on God and continue to sin. But quote, unquote, say you were sorry. And God is saying in this passage, it doesn't work that way. True forgiveness does not come in deliberate sinning. So give you an example of deliberate sinning. If right now I'm living with a woman I'm not married to and we're having sexual intercourse and then I go on my bed tonight, Lord, forgive me of that sin, and I'm still sleeping with her, I have full intention of doing it tomorrow, that is deliberately sinning against God. I can expect no sacrifice for sins but only expect judgment. Now, let's say there's a girlfriend, a boyfriend here, or an engaged couple, and let's say they were to fall, they were to make a mistake, like a righteous person in that example, and they say, Lord, forgive me, and we're not going to do that again. We're going to do whatever it takes not to do it. The Bible says cut off whatever causes you to sin, your right arm, whatever, poke out your eye, and you say that that is true forgiveness. That is the one Christ says forgiven. Does everybody get how that works? So have righteous people sinned? Yes, I'm a righteous person and I have sinned. Have I been forgiven? Yes. But the wicked stumble when calamity strikes and they don't get up because their heart is wicked. Do you see the difference in true repentance? So just put it to yourself like this. I cannot ask God to truly forgive me of something that I'm not willing to stop. And that's why hypocrisy shouldn't even be named in the church. Because if you're not willing to stop, stop calling yourself a Christian. Just say, say what the Bible says. Say that you're wicked. You don't just be like, man, I'm wicked, I ain't right with God, you know, I know if I were to die, I would go to hell, and that's why I'm doing this. Okay, that makes sense, you know, but if you're sitting here going, well, I'm a Christian, and then you keep repeating the same sin over and over and over again, there's going to be a problem now of your will. It's what are you really desiring in your will? I don't believe that the seven times is just limited to that, because even Christ, I think this is where uh, the disciples were coming to with Christ, and they said, how many times should we should forgive our brother? They said seven times. Maybe that was a reference back to this, you know. But then Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. And there have been many times in my life I've repented of the same thing, and that's true. I, I mean, God's forgiveness doesn't run out on me. Do you guys hear me saying that today? Please hear that. I'm not saying God's forgiveness runs out, but I'm saying every time you come, in the 70 times 7, you're truly repenting. So take, for example, the last sin I committed, I'll, I'll uh, be honest with you, was um, me, you know, smoking drugs. No, I'm kidding. You all just looked at me really crazy. The moment I said, there was like a lot of people just threw their head down. The moment I said, I'm going to confess to you my last sin, everybody's head just went up and their eyes went big. And so I just wanted to say the first thing that came to my mind. So I was on Belmont and Clark last night. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, so anyways... See, it, it's not right for the pastor, shouldn't be right for you, right? Okay, so here's the deal. 
the last sin that I can remember, and I'm not trying to be, you know, like any better than anybody. You know, I'm just telling you who I am and how my life works. So the last sin I committed was me getting angry with my wife, okay? So I got upset with her. And it wasn't even like I yelled or anything. It was just kind of like I was just picking at her, you know, like just being harsh, like teasing her the wrong way. And it was just because I hadn't eaten for a while and I was hangry and I had, had no excuse. But that's what I did, okay? And I acted bad. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. I repent to God. Lord, forgive me for not treating my wife as I should. Okay. Now, at that moment, if you would hook me up to a lie detector test, put me right at the lie detector test, and ask me, do you ever want to do that again? I would say no. And I believe God in heaven goes, forgive him, right? But if, you, if I was to say to my wife, sorry, and, you know, some of us can hide stuff from even our wives. But let's say I say I'm sorry, but I don't really mean it. And God looks at my heart and says, do you want to do that again? And I go, yeah, because she deserves it. Right? She, she doesn't appreciate me. She doesn't talk to me. Now, all of a sudden, there's not true forgiveness being brought to me. Grace is being withheld from me because I'm in pride. And the Bible says God resisteth the proud but gives grace to the humble. So the proud are resisted, the humble are given grace. Humility is saying, I'm submitting to the will of God. So now, have I gone beyond seven times with losing my patience with my wife? Yes. It's been like 70 times seven, right? My wife is finding the infinity of that passage there. Jesus said we should forgive our brother, right? But here's the point. Every time I am truly coming to the Lord going, change my heart, change the way I look at this, Make me not want to do this because you said you would move me. You would change my desires. And, and, and I have sinned less. You track out my life. I have sinned less in that area as I believe Christ has made me to sin, be sinless, right? Does everybody get that? I have been righteous in this area more as I have, let me say the word righteous. I believe I have become more righteous in this area, right acting and behaving, as I believe Christ has made me righteous. I have acted more godly in my marriage. We just, we're going to make 11 years in June here, as I have believed that God made me godly to treat her as he does the church. Amen? Okay, so does anybody here want to stumble anymore? No, you're done, right? So that's true forgiveness. And so if you do these things, those seven things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, so now let's look at the review. Are you guys ready for the review? And this is still the introduction. Amen. We're going to get to the message here in a little bit. And I ain't even teasing. I mean, let me just tell you, the message is weighed after this chart. Then it comes all these points, and then I got another scripture, and then that right there. Okay. And you can always find our notes online and just skip it if you want, go down to where you want to. But then that kind of makes it boring because then what would you do this whole time, right? Don't play any of your games. Keep, pay attention in church. But, yes, the notes are online if you want to skip ahead. If I get too long-winded. Watch this. Spiritual growth equals what? Knowing and showing. That's the way I want us to understand this. If you look at that passage, look at the passage right here. It says, in your knowledge of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So there is a knowing that happens in the Christian's life. Because I don't know everything about God. Do you know everything about him? No. He's so amazing. He's beyond our understanding. So even just think about this. If right now you wanted to learn everything about God, think about how this would be. You would have to know everything about his past. But he has no beginning. So if you just wanted to go into the past knowledge of God, you would go on for infinity, right? 
Then if you said, I want to start by grasping who you are right now, the Bible says that he is the vastness, I mean, his, his knowledge is vaster than the universe. So that would mean you'd have to take in the breath of the universe, and we know that this is millions of light years big, and he's more vast than that. If we just wanted to presently understand him. The past, we'd be on an infinite journey to just understand what he's been doing. Like, Jesus, what were you doing like 10 billion years ago? Boop, take me there. Okay, I'll learn that. What were you doing 10 billion and one years ago? Boop, take me there. You get what I'm saying? And then now if we just said, not only can I understand the past and the vastness of him in the present, like if I just want to grasp him, you know, like you hold a ball in your hand and be like, oh, I want to study this ball. Remember, he's bigger than the universe, and the universe is millions of light years round and all that. You couldn't even grasp it right now. And then let's say you want to know him in the future for all eternity. This is why I believe we go from glory to glory, because he has no end. He's the beginning and the end. He encompasses both. So you'll never get to the point where it's like, oh, I figured out God, because you can't figure out him in the past. You can't grasp him all in the present, and he has no end. Isn't that deep? It's pretty amazing. So the knowledge of God is what we're always growing in. We're growing in the knowledge of God. And truly, when you know God, you'll know yourself. If you don't know God, you cannot know yourself. So all these people like, I'm going to get to know myself. I'm just going to take a year off and get to know myself. Or I'm going to do yoga, crooked chicken pose, and get to know myself. No, only thing you'll get to know about yourself is how sinful and dirty and just like how much of a stinker pants you are, okay? But if you truly want to know yourself, know God. Because God knows you. He created you. He is your maker. And he wrote the manual of your life. He understands everything about you. That's the knowledge. The other part is the showing. See, I know God, but I need to show that I know God. That's why I make all these, make the effort to add all of these things. So when I know God, I show that I know God through these attributes of my faith. When I do those things, when I know God and I am showing that I know God by my behavior, I am growing in God. Does everybody get that? Spiritual growth is knowing and showing. Here's a good definition. The process of transformation by which the disciple increases in the knowledge of God and shows it by living holy is spiritual growth. How many want to know God more? How many want to show it more? Amen. What are we working on? What are we developing? What are we adding things to? Our faith. What is faith? It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's the gift of God to those who willingly receive the word of God. Just turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. Sometimes people think faith comes from their self. Like, I got faith, now I lost faith, how do I get my faith back? No, here it is. Faith is a gift of God. You can take ownership of it if you want, just like you can say my life, but we know it's God's life that he's given you. You didn't create oxygen. You didn't put your body together. That's okay. But the idea is to recognize where is the origin of faith. Is faith in the origin of human will? Is it like wishing when you throw a quarter in a well? And so if you stop believing in these things, it's like, oh, how do I get it back? No, no, no. Faith is a gift of God. And so I'll read this scripture. But before I do, just get this example. Imagine, just put ourselves in this position with Jesus on the earth. Imagine you're with Jesus and he's talking to you. Do you believe him? In your will, do you believe what he says? Like, I am your good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. I'm going to die for you. On the third day, I'm going to rise. Then I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Then I'll be back. During that time, I'll be with you as you go and make disciples to the end of the age. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to be my, represent, my representative. He will show you the Father's heart and my heart, right? So do you believe that? If you choose to believe that, he grants you faith 
to accept it as a reality or as an evidence inside your heart. It becomes an evidence. It becomes, like I said, a reality. Does everybody get that? So if you don't accept it, you don't have faith. That's why the Bible says some don't have faith. Well, it's not like they didn't do something that we, uh, that we did or we're better off than them. No, just look at Ephesians. For it is by what you have been saved. Grace you have been saved through what? Faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. So faith and grace are the gift of God. And so you choose, like the parable of the sower, you know, the guy's throwing seed on the ground. Some people don't want it. The birds eat the seed. Others of it, it only grows shallow, and then the sun burns it. That's supposed to be persecution. You don't hold on to it very long. Then there's the one that goes with the weeds, and weeds choke it out. And those are three things, worry, pleasures, and riches. And the last one is a good heart, good ground bears fruit, right? That is how we are to receive faith and grow in faith. That is the word of God that we receive willingly into our lives. So remember. Remember this, if you at any time have doubts, doubt your doubts and trust God. See, faith and trust are synonymous. The faith of the Bible is almost identical, and it, the, differenti the differentiation doesn't even matter at this point. There is a difference, but let's not get into it. For the, this purpose, think of faith identically to trust. That is the kind of faith the Bible is talking about. Peter, do you trust me? Walk on the water. Do you have faith in what I said? This is how it is in the working of our lives. Do you trust him? And through that, the promises of God come alive. Now, the seven additions, goodness or moral excellence, in another translation is to be good according to the Bible. Knowledge, these are the things you're adding to your faith. The study of God's word. Self-control, not to be addicted to anything earthly. Perseverance, never to give up. How many are going to quit your quits? Amen. Quit your quits and live for Jesus. Godliness, living like God, mutual affection, which is brotherly love, and then love from a sacrificial heart, not selfishness or hatred. These seven things are supposed to be added to your faith because of the grace of God. It will never come to your human effort to, um, to make these things happen. You can no more make yourself godly than you can make yourself chicken, a chicken balk, and lay an egg. Can anybody do that right now? You can't transform yourself to do that. And even though in some of these, like you may say, like, Pastor, oh, that's obvious we can't be godly. Oh, but maybe on our own we can persevere. Not true. Not true at all. You may be able to not give up on a diet and exercise, something like that. But when it comes to the true spiritual battle you are facing, the strongest among us in our own willpower will fall, will succumb, unless we trust in Christ and his grace and the faith he gives us. If you trust in your own effort, you will fall. I have seen the mightiest fall. Televangelists, pastors, teachers, super saints, all of them, I have seen them fall. I am so serious, super saints, because they're so super duper. They know the Bible. Just ask them. They'll tell you how much they know. But watch, even super duper saints, super duper sassy saints, I should say, because it's good to know your Bible, right? But you don't have to be sassy about it. But you will find the end of your strength. Even the youth will go tired and weary. Can I show you that scripture? Because I want to show you that only by God's grace can you do any of these things. The youth will grow tired, but those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Go to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30. Um, brothers uh, in the back, Tony, could you give me some water, please? I'm sorry, man. I'm fighting this right here. Slept with the windows open the last couple of nights. 
a little something going on. Oh, my wife, by the way, we got to pray for little Zoe because she has hand, foot, mouth uh, disease thing, which is crazy. I know it sounds like the bubonic plague, right? But anyways, our whole church was nailed with it back there. By the way, we're good. We're good now. So nobody freak out with your kids. But somebody came with that, and it was like four of us parents that got knocked out with this. My wife's with little baby Zoe. It's a little fever, a little rash. How many believe Jesus can heal that? Amen, amen. But we're, we're quarantining them. Thank you. So let's give it up for Pastor Tony as he comes like the man of God that he is. Mm. Bro, why don't you just read this passage since you're up here with your big, bad, sexy self. And his wife is, I'm sorry, I can't say that because I don't want to make people stumble, you know what I'm saying? But your wife is home with little Nathan because he's got the hands, foot, mouth thing. Yeah. How are they doing? They're doing good. Um, he's just getting over now. But, yeah, it's pretty serious. So right, keep yeah, him. Read this passage. Read this passage. All right. Isaiah 40, 30 to, uh, verses 30 to 31. Even youth grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Amen. Thank you. You see, even perseverance is a gift of God to us through faith. So I was kayaking with my kids, and I have a little anchor so I can go fishing, like boom, drop, and stay in one spot. Well, I forgot that I had put the anchor down, and I started to paddle with that thing, and I was not moving, and I was wondering what is going on. Like, did I just, like, hit kryptonite or something? Because, like, literally nothing was moving. It was like, bong, oh, the anchor is down. Pull that up. Dude, that is literally what it will be like trying to persevere without Christ's strength. Your sin will hold you down, your doubts and fears, and you'll wonder why you're not going anywhere while people are coasting right past you. And the difference is, is you're relying on your strength and they're relying on God's strength. So all of the things in this list, all of the things here must come through Christ. It has to be birth of the Spirit. So those are the things that we're adding unto ourselves. Now, here's something I want you to remember. Spiritual growth is easy as one, two, three. How does this happen? Look at that passage again. Here's, some, here's another way to look at it, a summary. Number one, believe who Jesus is. He's our God and Savior. How many believe that? Amen. So 2 Peter says Jesus is our God and Savior. You believe that, you're born again. That is the start of a new life. You are now that babe in Christ. You are able now to grow. The second part is, is that you have to believe you are who God said you are. So God, speaking through Peter, said, You are a partaker in the divine nature with precious faith. All godly things have been added unto you, and you can receive a rich welcome into the kingdom of God and never stumble. Do you believe that? That's how you're going to grow when you believe that. And then thirdly, do you believe that you can increase in all seven of those things that God is not asking you to do something you can't do? If God said to me, Joe, you will spiritually grow every time you dunk the ball like, you know, Michael Jordan, would I ever grow spiritually? No, I would be like a spiritual little person, and I would never be able to grow. I would always be at that place. Why? Because I can't dunk the ball like Michael Jordan. And if you are thinking that God has told you to do commands, you can't do. You haven't read this passage right. You have to believe you can do exactly what he told you to do because that's what he wants you to do. I would never ask my son or daughters to do anything they can't do. How many believe children can clean their rooms? 
right? They can clean their rooms. So I asked them to clean their rooms. You can do that. Do you believe that you can do that? Yeah, go do it. How many, how many believe young people can, you know, wash up before dinner? So wash your hands after you've been playing in the mud, right? And then now, how, let's go to old people now. Let's go to older people. Moral excellence. Let's just go to number one. Do you believe you can do what God said you can do? Let's go here. Do you believe you don't ever have to swear again? Do you believe you don't have to t- take the name of the Lord in vain? You see, there are people that come to this church, and they get kind of confused by our contemporary nature and casual dress. They think that we don't take the commands of God seriously. I take the commands of God seriously here more than the Pope does, because unless he repents of idolatry, he's going to hell. So I take it more seriously than he does. Listen, I take it more seriously than most bishops dressing up in outfits and doing whatever they do. Listen, let me tell you why. I'm just not adding extra biblical commands. See, I could be real spiritual and start making up stuff about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I could start showing you ten ways to become a millionaire by next year and all this phony baloney and impress you with so-called knowledge. But that is not what the Bible calls a mature Christian. A mature Christian is simply, can I show you what a mature Christian looks like? Okay, because you better test me by the word, right? Because maybe it does say here that I need to dress up like mother and wear a funny hat and you call me father and you kiss a ring, right? Because if that was what I was supposed to do, I need to start doing that. But that isn't what it says. How many are happy it doesn't say that? Okay, now look at this. Hebrews chapter 6. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. Everybody say maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from the acts of death. That should be a foundation. I understand what repentance is and of faith in God. I understand what faith in God is. I'm not trying to put you down because we can all learn. But some of you who have been serving Christ for a while, you need to know these things by now, right? You need to know what I'm talking about from Second Peter. And instructions about cleansing rites. You need to know that it's not the outside that makes you clean. It's the inside. Jesus talked all about that. That the Jews were whitewashed tombs. They knew how to do all these things for cleansing, but they didn't know how to have their heart be cleansed. And that's why when you look at the Old Testament, all those things of cleansing were symbolic of the heart being cleansed. He said it's not what goes inside a man that defiles him. It goes what's outside. And the laying on of hands. How many believe in laying on of hands? Hallelujah, just praying for people, believing that God is, is real and can come through. The resurrection of the dead, how many believe in that? All right, some foundations here. The eternal judgment, how many believe there's an eternal judgment for the righteous and for the wicked? Amen? Okay, now that is what he says are the elementary things and that we need to be moving forward from those things. But go up to this. Look at his rebuke to them. He says, uh, Hebrews chapter 5, 11 now, he says, we have much to say about this because he's been talking about all these deep things about Christ being our priest and redeemer, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Do you see my little thing I was talking about, the amens and all that? I'm trying to make sure you're understanding this. Now, maybe you don't have to say amen to understand, and I like it because it's fun, right? You can take the boy out the south and not the south at the boy, you know what I'm saying? But I want you to understand, follow. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word. And that's what he was just talking about. All over again, you need milk, not solid food. Keep going here. Anyone who lives on milk, still being, is being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, commanded to live righteous. That's what we're talking about today, right? Well, watch. What is a mature believer? Somebody who writes about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, teaches you about your best life now, and tells you a bunch of sweet candy-coated lies? Is that it? No. Here's what, the, here's what a mature person is like. Everybody say mature. mature. Solid food is for the mature. 
who by constant use have trained themselves. Here it is. You guys ready for the deep theology to distinguish good from evil? If you can do that, you're mature. Seriously. If you can know what walk to watch tonight and what not to watch, you're mature. That's why we don't get into your entertainment. I teach Christians the holiness of God. You guys decide what music you're going to listen to. You decide what movies you're going to listen to. You need to grow up and train yourself in the word of God to distinguish good from evil. That's why we don't restrict alcohol here. Because some churches don't trust y'all. You know what I'm saying? They ain't going to let nobody drink. Even though they know Jesus made wine. Because they think if they let you drink, everybody's going to become drunk. But we tell you to do exactly what Jesus said. Don't get drunk off wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You decide what is your level of moderation. We don't command you uh, when to get married and how to get married. You want to date for 10 years? You can date for 10 years. Do I think you will do it and still be holy without committing sexual immorality? No way. No way. So that's why we say get married. That's why we say get You guys get what I'm saying? I, I mean, we're trying to teach people to discern good from evil. What was that tree of that Satan tempted them to eat of? The knowledge of what? Good and evil. See, that was the lie, that we'll become gods on our own and do that on our own. God was going to teach us all about it, but he wasn't going to do it that way. And so this is true Christianity, knowing God's character and what his heart is like. So that is what goodness and knowledge and all of those things are. The spiritual growth of belief, you know, let me just ask it to you like this. Do you believe who Jesus is? Do you believe you are who he said you are? Do you believe you can do what he says you can do? Now act like it. Right? That's spiritual growth. That's what they're teaching us in the scriptures. They're teaching us to mature and be who God called us to be. Here are some clarifications that I love to make because you even have some good Christians that have been taught differently. And I can understand why because a lot of Christian, a lot of pastors have a problem trying to reconcile with your nature and your behavior. So they'll be like, man, the Bible says I'm righteous and my church is righteous, but why are they all acting like sinners still? So they begin to get this idea that maybe your spirit was saved, but your soul is not. Or they'll start to say that you're a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. There's good parts of you and bad parts. You see, but this is not the Bible's teaching. The Bible says you were truly born again. Your soul was purified. Your righteous spirit was made perfect. All of this happened. Now you still have a flesh. This body is a body of death. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit. And this is a source of temptation. But you are no more your body than you are your stomach. Are you your stomach? But you're not your brain either. You have a mind that controls the brain. You have a will that controls your instinct. How many know if I popped a guy in the nose right here, he's going to have an instinct to want to hit back and fight because that's going to send some adrenaline. But he can control it. He can control what his eyes lust after too. We have self-control. Everybody say self-control. Look at your neighbor and say, you got self-control. Amen. Now watch this here. The next thing that we need, to, oh, let me just say this summer, you guys have heard it before, but as a Christian, you're not growing to become a better person, but you're rather learning to act like the person God has already made you to be. Let's look at that passage, Ephesians 2, verse 10. One of my favorite passages there in Ephesians, Ephesians 2, verse 10, says, for we are God's handiwork, or in the New Living Translation says, we are God's what? masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he, he planned for us to do. Watch. Do we do, do, do to be made new or do we get made new then to do, do, do? We get new first. Then we do, do, do. Because if we try to do, do, do without being made new, it smells like doo-doo. All of our 
righteous deeds will be as filthy rags in the sight of God. I'm glad somebody likes that. Come on, sister. Get free. All of our righteous deeds without Christ, the Bible says, are filthy rags. Do-do. So if you think, I'm going to do-do-do and then God's going to make me new. No, he's not. You're going to do-do-do all yourself to hell. Because your works will never save you. Someone was already more righteous than you, more perfect than you, and died for you. You trying to accomplish it on your own is actually high treason and rebellion against his work. But your acceptance of it, your humility of it, creates in you a new person. So you're first made a new person to do good works. So if anybody was to come to me and go, Pastor, I don't even know if I got faith to believe what y'all are talking about. I'd be like, if you just trust God, you'll have faith as precious as Peter. End of excuse. Then if somebody goes, well, I don't think I have what it takes to be a Christian. If you've got faith as precious as Peter, you've got everything you need for a godly life. Well, I don't know, Pastor. I'm so messed up in my body. My temptation is so crazy. Well, if you've got faith as precious as Peter and every godly thing you need, you're sharing in the, uh, partaking in the divine nature. Well, Pastor, now I don't know if I can grow up in my faith because I'm lazy and I get tempted and I don't want to make promises I can't keep because then I'll be a hypocrite. My friend, that's not being noble. That's being prideful because the Bible says he created you new to do good things. Now you're saying God ain't good at what he creates. God don't make no junk, amen? But you need to get your junk out the trunk. Get your junk out the trunk. God makes you new, so stop going back to those things, amen? Do the things that Christ now says you can do because he made you his masterpiece. In the world, people say, oh, they get mad. They go, you're a piece of blank, you know. But God says, no, you're my masterpiece. And he says, I created you in Christ Jesus to do good things which were prepared for you a long time ago. So whatever you're showing up to do for God today has already been in his plan. You have everything that you need to accomplish it. Can I hear an amen? Isn't that exciting? Just living for Jesus. And so a way to look at this is that first comes being, then comes doing. Your spiritual sanctification, your holy being, came first at salvation so you can have continual behavioral transformation, holy doing. Because I be holy, I can do holy things. Because my son be a Wyrostic, he can do what a Wyrostic does. Because you have been born again, made righteous, you can do righteous things. Learn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 6, verse 11. No, excuse me, 1 Corinthians just chapter 1. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look here in the King James. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are what? sanctified in, in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ. Have you called upon Jesus? Then you have been sanctified. You are his saint. That goes back to our passage, doesn't it? That you are to confirm that calling. You are to show it. But you have been called to be holy. So are you trying to make yourself holy? No. Are you bringing your dirty old car, like uh, bringing your life like a dirty old car to a car wash, or at salvation, was your car washed? It's washed. It's new. Now drive it and keep it clean. Should you stumble or sin, then you ask Christ to cleanse it, to change it. But the default way you should keep your life is clean. How many keep their car clean? Any default clean people here? Okay, I guess maybe 
Okay, half and half. I used to before I had four kids, let me just say that. And I ain't going to lie in church, you know. But you know what? It's easier to keep the car clean than it is to clean a dirty car. Have you noticed that? It's easier to maintain something clean than to go and do this deep, you know, thorough cleaning. And they say the same thing about weight. I've lost 60 pounds, you know, in 2015. I, I dropped 60 pounds. And it's now much easier for me to maintain my weight than it was to lose my weight. And so that's what we see as well. It's, it's, it's easier to maintain our walk with Christ and holiness than it is to go through that cycle of repentance and everything because you can be self-deceived and not think you need to repent. But, you know, if you humble yourself, that repentance that causes sorrow will then turn to godly joy and godly living. So if you sometimes feel convicted, know that that's natural, but don't let it become condemnation because Jesus will say, that's a sin, let's do better, you, I made you to do better. Condemnation says, that's a sin, it's because you're a sinner and you can't do no better. And then you'll feel guilty and want to give up. And I don't know why that is with dieting, but it's very similar. Whenever I have a bad day on the scale, the first inclination that I have is just, man, forget this. I'm just going to quit and start eating. But doesn't that show you how the flesh is? Because the first thing that should come to your mind is, I need to work harder. But that's never what you want to do. Well, the moment I get discouraged, I'm like, what's the point? And it's the same thing with Christianity. You know, Christ made you holy, then you sin. And many people, instead of just repenting, instead of just going, man, I'm sorry, God, I messed up. I really don't want to do that again. Cleanse me, wash me. We go, well, man, what's the point of trying? Man, I'm never going to change. You see, and the devil lies to us. Conviction versus condemnation. Know the difference. Okay, now I think we are ready for the message. How many are ready to hear the sermon today? Amen. Are you ready? Amen. Well, let's look at our spiritual growth chart. This is today's message, spiritual disciplines, okay? So I've said all of that to say this, that now we want to implement into our lives spiritual disciplines because we know who God is. Jesus is our God and Savior. We know that we are who we said we are, and we can do what he said we can do. How many know and believe that? And we want to grow. How many want to grow in goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, love, right? So that means now there has to be a showing. There has to be a showing that follows our knowing if we want to grow. And that is where the nitty-gritty comes in. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where we begin to understand as, I, as we kind of summarize the Bible is what does it look like for Christians to show that they love God so that they can grow in their knowledge of God. We look at the Bible and probably find about 10 things. If I've missed a couple, that's fine. There's a lot of authors on this subject. But the idea is here that Christ gives us means of grace, ways that his grace transforms our behavior so that we're just not sitting in some esoteric mindset or philosophical mindset. I am who God said I am. Hmm, I'm righteousness. Hmm, and we're never doing something about it. The Bible is a very practical book. It is not just a book of theory and head knowledge. It is working it out. And as the old timers used to say, it doesn't matter how loud you shout or how you jump and how straight you walk when you leave church. And so we want to see as Christians the life, the talk, uh, the walk match the talk. Amen? And so here they are, basically about ten things. If you want to show that you're growing, uh, show that you're knowing Christ so that you can grow in those things, you're going to need to read your Bible. You're going to need to put your family in order. 
You're going to have to memorize scripture and start to meditate on the word of God. You're going to want a soul journal. Write down the things that God is doing in your life, in your inner life, and track with it over time. You're going to want to learn how to have effective prayer and worship because the prayer and worship brings the blessings of God. The prayer and worship touches heaven and changes earth. Participation in discipleship, accountability, mutual teaching and edification, Christian service, learning to serve as Christ serves. And this is also everywhere you go, you'll find these things. Some of them have specific places, but a lot of them will work everywhere you go. Learning to pray on your job, learning to be a disciple on your job, right? You get that. Learning to serve on your job as unto Christ, doing all things unto the Lord, not unto a human master, but unto your real master who will judge you one day. Public evangelism, sharing your faith. Spiritual meditation, and this is not like Zen Buddhism. You will learn effectively how to meditate, quiet yourself, and think on the things of God, meditating upon his word day and night, as the psalmist said. Being like, a, listen to this language in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of the sinner, nor sit in the seat of the mocker. But his delight is upon the law of the Lord. Now listen to this right here. Upon the law of the Lord does he meditate day and night. Now listen to this. After that word meditate came to look at the picture it draws out here. He meditates on the word day and night. He or she is like a tree planted by the streams of living water which yield their fruit in season. Their leaf does not wither. And whatever they do prospers. Doesn't that, that just make you want to stop and meditate on that? Like close your eyes and see yourself as a tree and prospering. This doesn't come from Buddhism. This comes from Christ. Christ made you to be introspective and use your imagination pointing towards heaven. Financial stewardship. Bible says that the biggest competing master of your life will be money. When he said, you, can, you can't serve God and blank, he did not sit, see, he didn't say, you can't serve God and the booty, fellas. He didn't say, women, you, uh, women, you can't serve God and clothing. He didn't say uh, to us as Chicagoans, you can't serve God and Chicago Cubs. You know, he said the greatest competing thing for your life is not the booty, is not clothes, is not sports and entertainment. This is what he said, you cannot serve God and money. He knew that the number one competing source of your heart would be money because money is the root to all kinds of evil. The love of money is the root to all kinds of evil. There's a Facebook post that says if money is so evil, why do pastors keep asking for it? That's kind of funny, but it's not true. It's not true. First of all, we ain't asking for nothing. We're telling you to be obedient to what the word says. And then the other thing is it's the love of money, love of money, not money itself, the love of it. Because everybody need money upon this world, and they even had shekels back in the day, okay? Whether it's greenbacks, dinero, shekels, we need it to use for God's glory. Does everybody see that? Ten spiritual disciplines. Everybody say spiritual. Wake you up a little bit. So knowing plus showing equals growing. Now, thankfully, my messages are not as long as the introduction, so I will not be going through these today, like starting number one, Bible reading. That would be a long message today, wouldn't it? I mean, we would be here for a long time. But my goal is, through this sermon series, is to teach you on each one. How many would like, and I don't say this to boast in any way, but as a gift to you, I'm just being honest here, how many would like somebody like me who's getting a doctorate 
to be able to help you read your Bible more effectively. Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, that's what I do. We have a lot of you guys who are smart, and I would like you to help me, you know, help me pay my taxes, help me build stuff. Brian builds stuff around. Help me get massages. We have a massage therapist here, you know what I'm saying? We actually did that. Couples massage, she taught us how to massage our, our spouses, you know. Yeah, but here's the thing. Wouldn't you like for me to do that? Well, that's what I'm going to do. Lord willing, next week and the weeks following, I'm going to take out of my time as a pastor and go as deep and as practical as I can so that these areas of your life become vibrant, how to read your Bible, how to put your family in order, and so on. And that's what the next uh, probably 10 weeks are going to be about. So look at the ones that are interesting to you and bring your friends to them. You know, bring your friends to these messages that will really transform their life, especially the one with spiritual meditation. If you have friends that are really getting brought, uh, you know, buying into this stuff, like Oprah Winfrey type stuff, you know, a lot of this kind of like, you know, really, you know, just popularized yoga stuff. Come to this message. It will transform your life. But what I want you to know is the reason why we're going to do these things. That's how I want to end us today. Can you open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, as we go to another lengthy passage of Scripture? How many are ready to read the Bible again? Let's do it. Come on. You give three hours to the Cubs. Ladies, you give two hours to manicures. Come on. Don't get quiet on me now. I've gone with my wife. I need some ladies to give me some Amen. I don't know what she gets, a medic, manicure, pedicure, but it takes hours. You guys, young people, you give three hours to Transformers, you know, Avengers. If we were playing right now Xbox, will you be giving three hours to that? Come on. Let's give some time to Jesus here. I will close this out, Lord willing, in ten minutes. I believe I can do it. If you believe I can do it, say amen. Okay, you're, you inspire me. You believe in me. I hope I can. I really don't want to disappoint you now. Here's Paul. Now watch Think about everything we've said and watch what he does here. It's so amazing. He gives us a perfect example about this. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? See, I believe in the days where only the winners get the trophies. I believe in that because it teaches them real life. God believes in that too. Not everybody's going to heaven. And he's using this as an example. He says, hey, don't you know the only ones who get a prize are those who win? Look at what he says. Run in such a way as to get that prize. My friends, we've laid it out for you. You need to know who God is, know who you are, know what he commanded you to do. Look at these ways of being obedient and showing the knowledge that you have and growing in those seven things. If you don't run hard after that, it will be your fault you don't get the prize. Don't blame it on anybody else. Even if you get into heaven, but yet you haven't done what Christ has said in, in your works, your works will be burned up. You'll have nothing to show for your life. I want to have something to show for my life. I want to show God that I made my election and calling sure, that I lived a life worthy of the oxygen and the blood he put through my veins. I want to show him that I've done what he wanted me to do with my family and kids, and when I didn't, I was quick to repent and change. I want a church to be fruitful. I want my life to be fruitful in my neighborhood. Do you want that, brother? Come on. And we went with your wife to the Philippines. Isn't that amazing? Changing the world one trip at a time, one person at a time. What can you do for God? Where are you going to start? Run your race. Now look at verse 25. Everyone who competes in the games goes into what? Strict training. Kobe Bryant just retired. He was good because he did strict training. Every athlete, every musician that is worth anything has gone into strict training. This is the apostle speaking to you, Paul, right now. And he's saying, you want to do this? you got to go into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. 
So you go into strict training for your video games. You practice and practice and practice. I remember that I got the, um, the new fighting game. It's not Street Fighter. It's the one, um, it's the newest, not at Mortal Kombat. I'm trying to make a connection with these guys right here. The new fighting game. What is it? What? No. No, no, no. These are the actual characters like, um, it looks like Street Fighter, but it's not. It's like the newest one that replaced it. Because when I went in there and said, Killer Instinct, boom, there it is. Now track with me. This is for the young people. These are for the young people. Now watch. And the adults may laugh at me right now. So Killer Instinct, like six months ago. This is not even like years ago, like way back when. This is like six months ago. I got it. And the moves are so complex because if you played it, you know what I'm talking about. It's like front, front, back, back, front, front, these two, three buttons, front. You know, it's like five combos, right? I did it till my little thumb bled. My little thumb bled because I kept doing it. I literally practiced that thing for four hours. Pray for your pastor. Pray for me. I don't know if it's parenting four kids. I don't know what it is. But I practiced that for four hours just so I could do moves when people come over. And I'll be like, oh, I just play this game every now and then. Yes, yes, yes. Literally, like, I'm so serious. Like, my, one of my friends came over the other day, and he's like, oh, man, let's try this one. I'm like, oh, yeah, I play it every now and then. I just beat him. I felt so good. But you practice for hours, 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 hours. Whatever you want to be good at, you have to practice that. If you want to be good at reading your Bible, you need to practice for hours. You need to go into strict training. You want to be good at scripture memorization. Some of you go, oh, I don't memorize scripture very well. You think, dude, I dropped out of high school at 16, sold drugs, got arrested eight times before I was an adult. Do you think I was in the Sunday school class most likely to become a Bible memorizer? Do you think I was the kid with stars next to my name? I was, when I went to church with my parents, I was making out with girls in the bathroom. I've told you these stories not to boast, but I'm just telling you, I was wicked. I did drugs in the parking lot. Are you listening to me? This is true, and I don't boast, but in Christ's grace that he would save my sorry behind. Amen? But if he shows it in me, one of the worst of sinners, you can do it. And I've memorized hundreds of scriptures, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of scriptures. I try to memorize a scripture once a week. Week after week, I've been serving the Lord now for 20 years. I can memorize passages of scriptures, just chunks and chunks of them. And I forget them all the time, too. Don't get me wrong. But I'll have to go back and memorize them. And, and you can do it because you go into training. You, watch as he keeps going here. He says, they do it to win a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like someone running aimlessly, like a chicken with my head cut off. He says, no, I don't go and just, you know, you know, fight the air aimlessly. I don't fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He said, man, I'm going to run. I'm going to fight. I'm going to be who God called me to be. And body, you coming with me. I'm getting up and going to church. I'm reading my Bible. Shh, Bible, you can't, st- a body, you can't stop me. You are my slave. Come on, somebody look at their body and say, you my slave. You're doing exactly what I tell you to do. You're going to throw up your hands. You're going to praise God. You're going to read the Bible. You're going to do what I was commanded to do. Somebody needs to make their body their slave unto righteousness. You have been given the gift of life, and now it's time to give it back to Jesus. Amen? Oh, I love Jesus. How many love him? So just look at that passage. You better run a race to win. 
Make strict training and discipline a part of your life. Hit your target. Just don't beat the air. And make your body your slave. Last scripture in closing. Are you guys ready? How are we going to do these things? By the grace of God. How are we going to add these things to our life? It seems like so many, right? But we're not the first Christians to be on the planet. This is 2,000 years of history. We're following in the tracks of everybody that we've loved that has gone on before us. If your grandmother was a saint of God, it was because she did those things well. She ran her race. If your friends or family are saints of God, it's because they have done those things and ran well. Not that we're saving ourselves, but these are the good things we've been saved to do. See, think about this. Every command that God gave us not to do was to remind us of the thing we were to do. It's not just I don't do bad things. Like I don't kill. I don't hurt nobody. I don't steal. Like when I get to heaven, there's not going to be a reward for not murdering anybody. And here is the reward for not murdering anybody. And here is the reward for not beating your wife. And here is the reward for not beating your children. No, because watch. Thou shall not lie is supposed to remind us that thou shall tell the truth. So you're supposed to live for truth, not a lie. Thou shall not commit adultery is to remind you to be married to your spouse and honor God in marriage. Thou shall not be jealous or covet is to remind you to be thankful for that which God has given you. Thou shall not blaspheme is to remind you to honor our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. I honor your name. To honor God, right? The commands that we were given not to do things were to remind us of the positive things we were supposed to do. So those ten things that we're adding into our life, reading the Bible and all of that, it shouldn't be a burden to us. It should be the blessing of our life. So look what Paul also went on to say. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He said he was an apostle, right? By the grace of God, he was one. And it is his, grace, his grace to me was not without effect. So God's grace had an effect on his life. No, I worked harder than all of them. And he was talking about these false teachers that were trying to take away the church. He says, no, I don't need to boast in myself. I am what I am by the grace of God. And the grace didn't come without effect. No, I worked harder than all of these false teachers. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me, that is with me. So the grace of God should motivate us to work hard for Jesus. Grace surrounds the believer from start to finish. Grace brings us in. Grace gives us faith. Grace grows our faith. Grace completes the race. Grace will be the reward that we get in the end. Hallelujah. It's all grace. So today, you're trusting in the grace of God. You're trusting in this mercy and compassion for your life. And, and once again, grace and love are not synonymous. But for this sense, like how you're looking at faith as in trust, just simply looking at Jesus going, I trust you. That's faith, and that's how you move forward with him. Think of grace really similar to love. Because what love is saying is that I am motivating you by my care for you. So I can make my child clean their room. Or by grace, I can teach them to clean their room. Right? You see, that's the difference. Because I love them, I want to teach them to clean their room. I want to teach them to brush their teeth. By grace, my love for them motivates me to teach them and to do those things. And that should be the same thing for our life. We should see that God is motivating us by his love to do these things. So it's by grace the disciple is saved, sanctified, and spiritually grows. Would you stand with me, please? If you love Jesus, can you give him a hand clap of praise, saints? Come on. Amen. How many got something out of today? Amen. We love you, Jesus. Amen.
Would you put on that song, uh, Your Love is Extravagant, please? Would you close your eyes with me in an attitude of prayer? You know, in the this, in this first service, I preached my voice away, and that's okay because God wanted to do something different here. But I can just tell you, it's not the preacher that's going to make you want to change or be who God called you to be. It's really only going to be the word. But I want to ask you to be honest with yourself right now. Are you who God called you to be? If you're not, would you just repent for whatever you've been putting before God? Whatever has been distracting you and having your identity be as a sinner instead of as a saint. So are you who God called you to be? Now, for those of us who would say, Pastor, you know, I'm a Christian. I do believe I am who God calls me to be. But I have these areas I'm struggling with, and I know I need to grow in. Well, right now, would you pray with me? Because I'll pray with you that God will show us these areas we need to grow in. And you can start with that list of seven and then see if God makes any connection points to how you'll grow in those through those 10 spiritual disciplines. And I'll just leave up the chart. It's okay, you know, if you look around, you know, and, and see this chart. We close our eyes not because it's a command. We close our eyes because it's just practical not to be distracted. But feel free to open your eyes, look at this list. Because I believe that for some of us, God's going to start connecting these like, God, I want to grow in goodness. You know, I want to have a good attitude. And then God may connect and go, okay, well, the way I'm going to do this, a means of grace is going to be through your Bible reading and prayer and worship. And so as you get consistent and strict in this, you'll notice your attitude change on your job. I believe God can connect those for you right now. Lord, what areas do we need to grow in in that list of seven? And where do you want us to start to show it? You know, where, where, where are the, where's the grace going to be? Because grace is not just, just some vague thing. It's specific. Grace empowered Paul to do specific things. Empower us to grow as we do these specific things in our lives. So number one, do you need to be who God called you to be? This is either for salvation or coming back to the Lord. That's, that's the kind of person praying those prayers of repentance right now. And then for us as Christians, we're praying prayers of growth. Certainly, if you do need to repent, repent. But I want everyone to leave out of here at least knowing that they've been given a chance to be born again, accept Christ, and to have points of growth in their heart. Altar workers, would you come, please? We're going to close in a time of worship in just a moment, but I want just a few more uh, minutes here just for private reflection. What is God saying to you? What is God doing in your heart right now? Would you take these few moments just to pray now about those things?
Jesus, would you help us to grow by knowing and showing, by knowing and showing, God. We want to grow up in our salvation by knowing you more and showing that love you've placed in our heart by faith. Would we all be honest with ourselves, not only today, but as we leave here, to be seeking you in these areas and connecting the growth of our disciplines. Discipline to growth and vice versa. In Jesus' name. Can you say amen, amen? Just in this attitude of prayer, how many of you today believe that this sermon series can truly grow you up as you study and learn and know more about God? Do you believe that? Because I want you to know that I'm going to partner with you this month and the months to come that whatever you want me to pray for, just Facebook me. I'm going to start praying for it because I want us to see legitimate, actual, trackable, like verifiable growth. Tonight's the marriage life group. You know, at five, I encourage marriage groups to stay. You know, marriage couples to stay. Why? Because you're going to learn these things. You're going to learn how to have family order. I mean, you know how much goodness will come into your life once you have family order, right? Think about how many things will change once we have our marriages in order. Or just, you know, thinking about these other life groups coming up this week. There's the King's Kids. Think about our children going to those life groups and just learning every day what it means to read their Bible and pray. They're going to be who God called them to be. And the various things. So if you want me to be accountable with you in prayer, just send me what you want me to pray for and what you want to see change. Because I, at the end of this sermon series, want real testimonies. I want people to be able to come up on the stage and be like, man, I can tell you how God changed me with self-control. I was smoking cigarettes. And, you know, I started scripturally meditating that I was free and who God said I was. And I haven't smoked in, you know, two weeks or whatever. I want those kind of testimonies. How many want to hear those kinds of things? Or somebody saying, you know what, I wanted to grow in perseverance because, you know, I, I come to church and I quit and I come to church and I quit. But you know what, I started, uh, you know, praying and worshiping every day and God started to show me that church wasn't necessarily about me and my entertainment. It was a place where I could pray with the saints and, and be a part of a congregation. It had changed my whole mindset. Now I come ready to worship, right? Like, that, that's what I'm talking about. Maybe just one more example. Maybe some of you, you're struggling in your knowledge. It's just like, oh, Pastor, I hear you preach all the time, but I don't really get it. I know it was awesome because you yelled a lot, but I didn't really know what I was learning, you know. And it's like, well, wh what did you do about it? Well, Pastor, you know what I just started to do? I just started doing a, uh, a scripture reading plan. I just started reading the Bible throughout the year, as it says. In these last few months, it's blown my mind how much of the pieces have been coming together because I, I actually know about the book of jo uh, Job now because I thought it was the book of Job. And I actually know that there's a book in the Bible called Nahum, and that blessed me. Hello, because you took time to read it, you know. The reason why I know this Bible, like I go to all these scriptures, I've been reading it for 20 years. My dad's the same way, and he's not even a pastor. Well, he was, he became one later, but he was a businessman most of his life. How did he become that? Because he read it for like 30 years. You know what you spend your time with. You'll get to know God, amen. I'm going to ask that you would sing that song, uh, Good, Good Father. Can we turn it down? How many want to sing a worship song before we go? Let's do that. Amen. Let's do it. Both Rachel and Jerry are not able to come here. Can I help you with this? So we're going to not.
we don't want to call you like second string, but what do we want to say? No, no, she's like, that's fine. I'm so sorry. But we're going to have you make your debut. I'm trying to make it like really cool for you, but I made it worse. Are you ready for your debut? Do you want Andrea to come up and sing with you? Because I hear she can sing. Okay. Let's put up the words here. Good, good father. If you need prayer, we're going to dismiss by singing this song. So if you got to go, please feel free to go. If you want prayer, come see some of our friends up here. They'll pray for you and just love on you today and just let you know that you're not alone in what you're going through. Prayers for anything in your life, you know, we're here to do that. And let us believe as we sing this song in closing that he is a good father. Let's get Sister Soldier to pray for us. Hey, hey, hey. Hallelujah, Lord God. We thank you so much, Lord God, for the heart transformation that you are doing in us right now, Lord God. We receive, Lord God. We receive from you, Lord God. We pray, Father God, that as we continue in this series, God, that you will continue to do what only you can do, Lord God, and bring us to that place of intimacy that we haven't been at before, Father God. We pray that you will continue to take us from glory to glory to glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are going to sing this song a cappella then, like old school. Are you all ready to sing this? I ain't got no shame, but Lord, I ain't got a voice. Help me, Jesus. Here we go. You want to sing it? Oh, I'm sorry. I was probably <laughs> like it was like a miracle. Oh, here we go. Have heard of stories of one. There we go, come on. Say your life, but I've heard. Can you put it up a little bit, please? Of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm. Let's take it from the beginning. Everybody on the same page now. Oh, I've heard. Come on. And oh. Thousand stories of what they think your life, but I heard tender whispers of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're You're perfect in all of your ways. 
sing that again. You are perfect. Otherwise, let's bless the Lord one more time and we'll dismiss. Praise God. Slap your neighbor high five and say, live like you mean it. Amen. Have a great week. We're going to keep worshiping. If you need prayer, come on up or just want to hang out. We'll do a little bit of worship here for a few moments. And I've heard. Bless you. We love you. Have a great week. Sure.
Jesus.